welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you like it is. And uh, as you well know, uh, if this is your first time, I should say, uh, we do this podcast in three parts. We kind of do some general news stuff that uh, is always of interest to the Second Amendment community. Then we do some gun-specific stuff from the gun culture, news and and, uh, other things that are out there. And then we do what is my favorite part, which is questions and answers. So let's get underway. And let's get underway. And, And frankly, this is... If this if if this story wasn't kind of sad in some ways, it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard, and it shows you that truth is stranger than fiction. And, and the sad part is this is about addiction a little bit, and it's Mr. Hunter Biden. And Hunter Biden is now, uh, since his gig with the uh, Ukrainian energy company is his, uh, you know, that's all gone now, and everybody's looking to see if he's doing anything with the Chinese, so that's all gone now. So now apparently he's hawking a book. And if you know anything about celebrity book deals, it's just a way that people pay them. And, you know, it's a legal way to, I don't want to say launder money, but it's a way that you pay people without them, without it being accountable, without them being on your payroll or anything like that. So if I wrote a book and Mr. X who's a friend of mine and wants to curry favor with me, uh, buys 200,000 copies. I get the royalties for the book, and it's it's all legal and legit looking and everything else. But in point of fact, it's a $200,000, whatever it is, payment to me. So that's why these guys write books. You know, Nobody goes out and buys these books. Nobody really buys a lot of retail books anymore. So there you go. That's what a book deal is. But the funny part about this is that Hunter Biden was such an addict that he would go around and snort Parmesan cheese because apparently he was so out of it it looked exactly like the crack cocaine or the cocaine or whatever it was he was snorting so he would go snort Parmesan cheese now I'm not an expert on Parmesan cheese I do know that before I got married and my wife showed me kind of what real Parmesan cheese was, um, my the Parmesan cheese I was used to was like made by Kraft or somebody, and it came in a green tube thing, and you would put it on your Chef Boyardee canned spaghetti or whatever. I mean, that's what the Parmesan cheese I was used to was. And I assume that that looks enough like crack cocaine that it was able to routinely fool Hunter Biden. And, and I use the word fool there for a, a real reason, because there's no bigger fool than Hunter Biden. So it's, it's, it's amazing to me that uh, Hunter Biden was snorting cheese. You know, the evil cheese, the war on cheese. When will we have the war on cheese now? Uh, you know, but this goes, this goes to a whole lot of things that about liberal thinking that, that people just don't get. It's like, People could easily blame the cheese, just like they blame guns, just like they blame other things. Um, you know, it was the, it was the evil cheese, and we need a war on cheese. We need cheese control. Uh, so obviously, the Hunter Bidens of the world won't be led astray. And you know, you have to do it for the children, so that the children don't fall victim to this ugly evil cheese. 
So Hunter, Hunter Biden, the, the cheese meister, the man who exposed the great cheese conspiracy. That's why we have a drug problem in America. We have too much Parmesan cheese and it replicates the other stuff that they use and they're fooled by it and they're using it. They're abusing it. And, uh, you know, we need cheese control. That's that's what we have to say about Hunter Biden. You know, that, the, the funny part is, clearly, if he was so zonked out and such an addict that he could be fooled into snorting Parmesan cheese in lieu of cocaine, um, that, that tells you right then and there that he didn't earn any of the money that the Ukrainian energy company or the communist Chinese were paying him. That strictly what he was doing was influence peddling for his daddy at the time when he wasn't abusing cheese so uh you know it, it, it clearly he was not a genius he was not a serious player he was nothing more than a very pathetic addict who couldn't tell the difference between cocaine and cheese wow so that's that's what that is right there Woo. uh we also noticed the passing of alcy hastings democratic machine politician I think he was from Georgia. I'm not sure. Georgia or Florida. I can't remember. But um, anyway, this guy was a crooked federal judge who was impeached, somehow got into a a district that was gerrymandered so that people would just vote for him, probably based on race, I guess. You know, I don't I don't know. And he was in there for 15 terms and he was he was under investigation, I think, several times. The last time was for an inappropriate relationship with a staffer who he then married and then the whole thing went away. But Alcee Hastings, you know, another another part of the swamp. I mean, you look at some of these guys, their records and what they've done and you go, how could this person still be in government? How could this person be? How could people vote for someone like this? And they wonder whether it's in an impoverished district or whatever else why your life's not getting better well you keep electing the same dude who's obviously out looking for himself and not looking out for you as a voter and that's how these problems occur some people in washington get way too much power just because they've been there so long just because they've occupied a seat they put their their miserable little backsides in a seat in the Capitol building. And, and that has given them way too much power. So, you know, a farewell and adieu, Alcee Hastings. Um, I won't miss you. And it's, you know, like the meme from the movie Tombstone. Well, bye then. So glad he is gone. A very bad influence. And it brings up the other, other part, the, the Democratic Party machine. You know, one of the other things that, that's there is the Democratic Party machine just sets up certain people. And, you know, I think the the ultimate example of this is Harris. I mean, Harris, face it, she's morally not a very nice or good person or an exemplar. Um, her little twi trysts with her bosses, um, you know, I don't want to go into all that, but she has a very sketchy moral background which leads to a very sketchy character in my opinion uh, she's a you know she was looked upon as being she was going to be the female Barack Obama this you know 
kind of pleasant looking black woman who's going to be articulate and smart and and it turned out she was not articulate and smart she's she's not a genius she's not really a person other than has used her identity politic persona uh, to get in under I guess would be diversity quotas or other things that just appears to be what she is and so she's you know she ran a terrible campaign um, and she got she was one of the first big she was the first big name out I mean and she was the front runner when that all started Biden was you know not considered you know taken very seriously really but the party establishment maneuvered her around and they maneuvered her into a position where they got Biden to agree that his vice presidential pick would be a woman and of course a, a woman of color and of course they're not going to pick Stacey Abrams she's chubby she's got a big gap in her teeth and and you know she's just not she doesn't look very much the part so they're not going to pick her there was one or two others ladies in government that they they looked none of them were were particularly well known or noteworthy but then there was Harris and Harris at least had name recognition so from somebody who was an absolute flop in the primaries she all of a sudden got moved into a, the number two position now you could say well that's no real big deal because the number two position face it is there's nothing you know it's it's like the old pat paulson quote where america is a place where a boy can grow up and become president and if he doesn't grow up he can become vice president you know uh it's that kind of thing but then you look at joe biden and you know first of all I, this is not to say that we're wishing any ill on joe biden this is just about numbers and statistics that come out i hope joe biden lives to be 100 years old you know i don't care i don't wish wish passing on anybody but joe biden is right at the exact statistical age at the end of the life expectancy for a male in america joe biden's there joe biden is at 79 years old you know anything after 79 you're bucking the trend you're beating the statistics so joe biden is is right there and so this really looks like the democratic ticket did in 1944 where everybody says yeah you know roosevelt is not going to last another term so therefore we got to be very careful who we pick for vice president and you know then they they selected truman and, and he was the heir apparent and and really what was it a year later you know truman becomes president because roosevelt passes away we could wind up with a president harris and that is a lot more frightening than a president biden to be to be uh honest with you you know biden's going to talk some smack but really you know guns are far down on his on his priority list he, he may say they're not but they are but harris is crazy and harris is not very intelligent and she might go after something like that uh, if she does it'll tear the country in two it'll tear the country to pieces um and plus they have bigger fish to fry they've screwed up the border they've screwed up the economics uh they're still listening to you know even though fauci and the cdc have been proven to be wrong and fools and and have essentially nearly ruined the economy of the country they're um they basically they've been list they're listening to those guys they got all those problems to deal with but you know i would rather see a president biden than a president harris harris is dangerous and you know if biden thinks he's going to run in 
well, three and a half years or whatever it is. I think that's crazy also because I just don't think he's going to be around. I just looking at him, you know, I just, I'm no, I'm no uh, fortune teller, but it doesn't look to me like he's going to be there. So, or if he does, he's going to retire. And then, you know, Harris might, would be the, clearly the heir, Democratic heir apparent to, to get the nomination. It would probably get it by and large unchallenged. It certainly wouldn't be like the last time. So, you know, there's, there is some, there is some frightening stuff out there. The Democratic machine has taken someone who is unworthy, Harris, and has positioned her so she could become president of the United States without earning anything. Couldn't even, couldn't even, uh, was the first one knocked out in the primaries. Pretty scary when you think about it. Pretty scary. Well, that brings us to the other gun control story that's out there. And this is more of a two-way story. Anybody outside of the gun culture doesn't, doesn't really get this. But there's a guy, what's his name? Ron Pincus, Ron Pincus. Okay. Pincus is a guy who tries to be one of these trainers He's come up with some sort of Zen yoga combat focus training that, you know, I, I mean, if people, if it helps you, fine. It would not help me. I'm more of a, let's do fundamentals. Let's concentrate on the front sight. Let's concentrate on the trigger squeeze. Think about more than just engaging a target. You got to think about the broader tactical situation. Those, those kind of things appeal to me much more than this point shooting combat focus from a guy like Pincus who's never been in combat or of any type he was an army reservist at one point and I believe he was a reserve maybe full-time cop then went to reserve cop or something his his bio is very very sketchy about all this but what he is not is a full-time cop I don't I don't believe I think he runs businesses people who know him say he's a pretty much a self-promoter um, he's an NRA hater you know on and on and on so Pincus, Pincus gets, oh, and his big claim to fame was he was married to one of the Mandrell sisters, which were a singing group back in, I think, the 70s, maybe the 80s. Um, I don't know much about them. I think they were like what, kind of a girl country western deal. Um, as I remember right, their music was okay. I'm not really a big into any of that. I'll listen to it once in a while, but I'm not big into it. So, you know, they were kind of into the Grand Old Opry type thing and out in Hollywood, you know, hee-haw, those, all that kind of stuff. So he was married to one of them for a while, then he's, he's not. And uh, she talked about, all I can say is, boy, did she correct a mistake. But um, anyway, Pincus got with some gun control guy, he used to be a chairman, a vice chairman or something of the Brady campaign, and, and basically saying, hey, there's common ground we could reach. That would satisfy the gun control people and the the Second Amendment people, you know, and and it really comes down to you know more background checks, keeping guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them. Okay, well, first of all, we've got we've got tons of laws that do that. We've got all kinds of laws that do that. So more laws that do that aren't going to help. We also know that ex what do they mean? No one can define expanded background checks. You hear you hear the Biden administration blabbing about that. No one can explain how, what else are they going to do? My suspicion is that expanded background checks is nothing more than 
than uh, group speak um, for red flag laws. That somehow you can, somebody can call up and say, hey, he's my neighbor and he was mean to me. You know, he yelled at me. Um, and so I don't feel safe. And then all of a sudden, you got a, or some kind of red flag law is is all of a sudden sprung upon you. All of a sudden that's activated and you're on a list and you can't buy a firearm because somebody has has reported you, you know, without any kind of accountability, without any kind of proof, without any kind of anything, this all happens. So I, I think expanded background checks is some sort of a segue, some sort of a tunnel, some sort of a workaround to get into this red flag law business and get that more widespread and more mainstream. That's what I think it is. So it's a foolish notion that Pincus even wrote the article with this guy that he thinks that there's any common ground. I've got news for him and everybody else who, who does not know. The only gun control that the gun controllers will accept is complete confiscation. Because as soon as they get something, they just start on the next. They don't. They don't sit there and say, "Well, we got this." You know, we've we got uh, um, a waiting period, or in states where they all have to do a, a a dealer transfer. They they don't stop. They keep going. So we cannot trust them. And and basically, it's our rights that they're intruding on. They're not giving us anything in return. Uh, I criticize the the whole Trump. Um, bump stock ban we should have gotten something in return for that if you want to give up bump stocks and some gun people like myself i see no use for gun bump stocks but i don't want to see them made illegal either um if you're going to give something up get something back okay hey guess what sbrs are now no longer an nfa regulated item okay you know you, you can argue back and forth whether that's smart or whether that's good but that's that's a at least you're getting something in return too often as a matter of fact, every time we give up something, we get nothing, absolutely nothing in return. And that's why people like me say, not one more inch, I'm not giving on anything, on anything. And, um, you know, that's that's the way it's going to be. That's just the way it is going to be. Don't give an inch. And I certainly wouldn't consort with the enemy, the, the absolutely, the... Um, Gun control people are the blood-sworn enemy of you and your civil rights. So don't consort with them. Don't think that people like, especially someone as flawed as Pincus, could be in any kind of an ambassador. And he does not speak for me, so he can talk to this, this uh, Brady clown all he wants, but he is, he is absolutely on his own, and I don't think anybody backs him. So that's the thing with this Mr. Pincus. Um, not very impressed with him anyway. And now it's just like I won't have anything. I won't look at anything. Anything he writes, anything he's he's touches is basically nuclear to me. It's, it's uh, absolutely going to get swept out the door. So Pincus is done. Just like Jim Zumbo, that moron who was drunk and said, ARs can't be used for sporting purposes. He's a moron, and uh, he paid for it. He lost everything. Just like Joaquin Jackson, that you know Texas Ranger guy. He's he's deceased now, but 
you know, he, he said a whole bunch of stuff that uh, basically no civilian deserves or needs a weapon that holds over five rounds. So uh, those guys lost it all. They, they, get, they get shunted off to the side. And now Pincus, Pincus is on that track. Because actually what he did is far worse. Far worse. So that's the, uh, that's the deal on Pincus and the dust-up that happened uh, just a few days ago. Okay, next thing is the cap, the percussion cap update that I promised. I don't have anything further on that. I'm waiting for a little bit. Um, the weather wasn't cooperating as much as it needed to, and I had a few other things come up. So, um, it's, But the good part is it's given me a chance now that these things have been stored for a while. Let's see if, they're, if they can uh, uh, be as effective after a month as they were when they were first made. So... We'll see how they go. We'll see how that all goes. All right, the next thing I want to talk about is, you know, I've uh, come into a situation where I have access to some land out in the country, and uh, it's, you know, it kind of changes it. I've, I've been, you know, I live in the kind of a, a small town, and I do almost all my shooting, as a matter of fact, at, at a couple of different clubs around here. So, you know, my need to carry around a pistol in a non-concealed way around, you know, a large expanse of property, it just, just wasn't there. Same thing with um, a rifle, you know, what kind, of, what kind of guns. So I've used this as an opportunity to test a couple of things that I thought I knew and that actually have panned out to be pretty much right, pretty much correct. Talk about pistols first. Um, one of my favorite pistols... And favorite calibers, I really like Smith and Wesson uh, revolvers. I mean, I think that they are just the epitome of of good design. They're great revolvers. They're fantastic, and they they really have very few equals. We'll talk about some of those later. But um, so I have a I have an ex Brazilian Navy um, model nineteen seventeen that when I got it, it was it was one of those. This is years and years ago now, but it was one of these horrifically um, low priced but but actually kind of pretty poor condition exterior the exterior was pretty pretty poor condition revolver sold for 165 bucks okay um, I bought one and uh, you know that's that's a pretty fair price for a uh, serviceable revolver um, the bore is not perfect but it's it's decent and same thing with the chambers and uh, the exterior, though, was really pretty rad. I mean, really ratty. So I basically had it bead blasted and kind of dip blued. And it turned out okay. There's still some, you can still see some of the, uh, um, some of the corrosion and some of the pitting. But, but it actually, it, it cleaned up and it's pretty nice. Really pretty nice. So I really like it. Um, it's one of those great revolvers that shoots basically point of aim point of impact you know with fixed the fixed sight it, it does not have a, any kind of adjustability in the sights the rear sight is basically a groove through the top of the uh, the top of the frame so there you go and it's got that uh, half moon you know kind of about the size of a half of a nickel as a as a front sight so shoots shoots pretty well I load um, I used to use nothing but 45 ACP in it um, my own hand loads 200 to 230 grains 
and shot really well very very good with those used it with the moon clips although you know it does have the step in the cylinder it's got that it's got a place where it'll stop the round from going in so you can actually don't need the moon clip but then you have to kind of pluck the uh, pluck the casings out but I really um, I had some extra uh, 250 grainer lead bullets and I've loaded those up and those shoot very well and they hit a little bit harder which I like and uh, so that's a great gun just to carry around and I just use a reproduction a cheap reproduction of the old World War One 1917 holster and it slides on a belt and uh, you know it helps if you put some suspenders on to help hold the uh, your pants and the belt up because they are they are kind of um, you know they're kind of big guns but just like any just like with any gun you know yeah really have to have a good gun belt uh, I do have a um, oh, what is that a Bigfoot gun belt that's got the steel insert I'll try it with that that'll probably work a little better than what I was using the last time but it worked out very well and it's a very lightweight gun if you know the end frame Smith & Wesson is not known for lightweight but the model 1917 has kind of basically a, um, a thinner barrel a smaller barrel and the cylinder isn't quite as long because they don't want the bullet to have to jump forever. So the, the barrel extends into the frame a little bit farther than you would normally expect for a regular end frame. And uh, the, that barrel make it uh, a pretty lightweight gun, actually. A pretty lightweight gun. And uh, it's very shoots very, very nice. Nice recoil. You know, and, and a lot of guns could do the same thing. A lot of guns could be the same way. Um, I don't really care for the sharp crack of a 357, so I kind of like the, the 45 auto rim a little better. But it's a, it's a kind of been my little companion on these uh, as traipsing around this land, and uh, it's worked out very, very well. Very, very pleased with it. Have a lot of confidence in it. So uh, just to, just to know that there are other guns that could certainly do the same thing. This gun just happens to have a very, very good size and weight envelope and enough power to really get the job done. So really, really like it. For rifles, I kind of went old school again. Um, for around the the house, which is kind of a small cabiny house on this, on this place, you know, you just can't beat a 22 bolt action as lightweight as you can get it and um, I've got one belong to a family member <laughs> things about 60 years old now Remington um, with an old weaver scope on it and I tell you it works great absolutely great you know it ranges out to about 50 yards it's, it makes it very very easy to hit um, what you're shooting at so that's a, that's a nice gun for anything longer and and there is some pastures and things that that provide longer ranges you know the the AR SP1 style gun you know the kind of the M16A1 style AR15 triangle handguards pencil thin barrel um, 1 in 12 twist you know that's a hard gun to beat a very very hard gun uh, especially when you top it off with one of the you know I have a couple of copies of the original three power scopes the originals I don't have but I've got the uh, the Asian copies which so far have worked out just fine I think you can get them Barska for 75 bucks you know 
their Brownells has a more expensive version which uh, may be looking a little more authentic but I don't know that it performs any better but to get back to the original point the three power scope on top of the you know kind of earlier style AR with the, the carry handle and all that is a very very nice package uh, the the scope is lightweight and it provides enough magnification so you can see you know out two and three hundred yards uh, longer than that it's it's not going to be quite as quite as valuable and it gives you you know that single you know a nice little a nice reticle to shoot at it's it's certainly not state-of-the-art it's not an ACOG it's not this it's not that but it's a very very nice scope lightweight inexpensive and it fits on a gun that's really suited for it um, so it's a it's a very very nice package I can see why people back in the day really liked that package because it's actually quite good and it and it was the kind of the forerunner of a lot of the optical sights and things that we use on uh, ARs today so those are kind of some old-school uh, solutions to you know kind of the modern modern problem because you never know when you live out in the country and I, I don't live there but I'm, I'm spending some time there you, you never know what you're gonna run across could be a critter could be some sort of a other problem you know you never know you just never know so it's uh, it's nice to have a rifle that's capable um, that can take down a coyote at 300 yards if you need to and it's nice to have a handgun which uh, is in a serious caliber and can do all those things that serious caliber handguns do the only thing I think is a, is kind of a weakness is I don't really have anything for snakes um, in my opinion and I've I've shot snakes before when they're coiled which means they're usually mad and and you know that's that's not a great situation uh, you can use a solid projectile on it because you have a kind of a round target on the ground so that's a lot easier when they're kind of strung out you know when they're they're strung out it's best just to kind of move away from them or, or uh, guide them away because they um, you know they're all hard to hit and that's why those snake rounds it you cci used to make uh, great snake rounds they probably still do at some level but uh, like everything else it's uh, impossible to find but if you have some you could do it and for this auto rim revolver i can get away with a couple of chambers of uh the 45 acp snake rounds they did make those um they would never function or a 45 automatic you know they would just kind of fire and then you'd have to cycle it by hand but but for a revolver they'll they'll be just fine they'll be just fine so anyway those are those are some of the things that are um, going on uh, one of the other um, parts of this project that I'm gonna work on is I'm actually gonna carry a cap and ball revolver around you know as hey 36 caliber let's see let's see how it does let's see how it is and uh, I've already got the holster and everything we're kind of ready to go so that'll kind of be a, a something that uh, uh, will be a fun part of the project is, you know, is the cap and does the cap and ball revolver have some utility in this role of the handgun you have with you that could have to handle some, you know, small game, uh, venomous snakes, any anything that you kind of would run across in this this kind of outdoor environment. So it'll be uh, interesting to see. It'll be very interesting to see. All right, that is about all we have for for the uh, 
that portion, which means we are now into my favorite part of the podcast, which is questions and answers. These come from all of you, and you can send them to me at kbmakel at aol.com kbmakel at aol.com feel free to send it to me and i will get at it the next uh, the next time um i also get some of these you know people come up and ask me when they come up and physically ask me if i can remember i i write them down and cover them in the deal i usually don't put a whole lot of thought into these before i read them because i don't want to kind of um I don't know. I just don't want to come up with preconceived conclusions. I kind of like doing this uh, spur of the moment, kind of off the top of my head. So that's how these uh, questions and answers work. Okay, the first question we have, and this came from a gentleman at work. Uh, what do you know about the six millimeter arc or ARC? The answer is I don't know anything about it. Um, and here's why. It's um, even if I was totally curious about it I don't know where you get the guns and the ammunition it's, it's going to be easier to get a gun for it than it will be to get the ammunition so consequently um, you know I'm not all that crazy about it it's like I said in the last podcast my enthusiasm for new guns is predicated upon a lot of things and, and kind of the ammo situation is one of them what I do know about it I know a couple things about it um it is based on the 6.5 Grendel case, which was an AR, a 6.5 cartridge designed to work in AR-10 type guns. So, 6.5 Grendel. No, yes, it was it. No, maybe it was. It, it works actually in the AR-15 type guns, the uh, smaller ones. But either way I, I was never that interested in the 6.5 Grendel either this is just it going down to 6.0 uh, 6 millimeter and you know I, I think that SOCOM bought US SOCOM United States Special Operations Command bought some to evaluate and so, so the the buzz a few months ago was oh this is you know military is adopting this nah, 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 nah. okay well whatever they buy a lot of different things because they have a lot of different mission sets and it may be just perfect for for a particular mission so however that is that is uh i just don't know i just don't know that uh it's going to be all that great it's based on the grendel and socom is looking at it so um i would say that it's uh you know going to be a decent gun i know that a lot of the ars in these kind of non standard calibers meaning things that are not based on 556 case uh you know that they do have some parts breakage and a few other things that are that have cropped up as issues now and again so i would say that uh um i think it's all it's for a while it's the new hotness and it'll cool off especially if people can't get ammo it'll cool off the other question people have to ask is if this thing costs five or six or seven or maybe even ten times as much as five five six ammunition wise you know what's the point is it that much better is it ten times better or is it only twice as good for certain applications but is that going to be worth the additional cost and that's that's what's going to kill off some of these boutique calibers I believe in the future 
Whoa, and wouldn't you know that the next question deals with ammo shortages. If ammo shortages continue, what will that do to gun prices? Well, I can tell you right now, it's going to kill gun prices. Ammo prices, it's it's kind of like the, 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 anal the only analogy I can think of is when we had the gas crises back in the uh, 1970s, gas prices spiked. Guess what people were not buying? That is cars with V8 engines that used a lot of gas. So ammo prices are going to be doing kind of the same thing. People aren't going to be buying guns to shoot. You know, your, the gun that you buy to shoot a lot is not going to be as popular because you're not going to have the ammunition for it. So I would suspect that collector firearms will go up because frankly, hey, if you want a Colt single action in 3840, hey, you're paying a buck around in 2019 prices for 3840 ammo. And that's probably not going to change drastically, say, next year. Uh, you know, so your antique Colt single action that you're only going to fire once every five years and you buy a box of ammo and it lasts you you know through two firings that's not going to be a big deal and the collectors will still have their guns they'll collect them they'll say hey i've shot them it's great and wanna 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 okay that's all going to work so collectors guns collectible firearms will will still maintain prices um things like smith and wesson m p glocks um sig uh, M320s and all these, uh, they're going to get used a lot less, but I think that, um, you know, they're still going to be coming off the assembly lines. So I, I think the prices on those will depress if ammunition prices don't come down. Now, if ammunition prices come down and there's availability, then, hey, they're, they're in the driver's seat and they're going to sell a lot more guns. Next 10 years, they're going to sell a lot of guns. If, if they can get the ammo to catch up, they're going to sell a lot more guns. They're going to make 2020 look like a small year because people have seen, a lot of people have seen. So that's what I think. I think uh, if the ammo, the gun price, prices in the gun market are going to be basically driven by ammo price and availability. Uh, gun manufacturers just aren't going to be able to make and sell guns in 3040 Crag or 303 or 7mm or any of these old school cartridges if there's no ammo being made for them and and frankly in 2019 there was precious little ammo if you had a and, and every once in a while they turn out hunting rifles in one of these older traditional cartridges um but you really don't have much choice for sporting ammunition through those things you know ppu is the big the one out of yugoslavia that was the big supplier for a lot of those older military cartridges and uh unless they can catch back up nobody's going to turn out the stalking rifle in in uh, six you know cz had a manlicker stock 6.5 swede you know kind of a stalking rifle well nobody's going to turn that out uh nobody's going to turn out the i think savage makes a 22 hornet varmint rifle nobody's going to buy that if there's no 22 hornet around and face it um there's not going to be a lot of demand so that's not going to get produced quite a bit so Ammo prices are going to have a huge impact on the gun market. So it remains to be seen how that's going to play out. But I don't think that we're going to be 
making and selling and using too many nine millimeter pistols if it's just still at this $30 a box uh, threshold. And I mean, I've seen, um, I've seen tall ammunition going for $30 a box, stuff that was less than $10 a box two years ago. So there you go. All right. Have you seen the new Colt Anaconda? And you know what? I've not seen one in person. I don't know that anybody has seen one in person. But I am really, I'm glad that they obviously listened to my podcast because I said for a long time the best thing Colt could do was bring back the Anaconda and the Diamondback. They haven't brought back the Diamondback yet, but I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe not this year, but I bet next year we see a Colt Diamondback come up. The only downside of this is uh, they can't even supply pythons. I mean, it's, it's hard to find new pythons. So, uh, you know, I hope they have the capacity to, you know, produce these things to satisfy the market. Um, it's no fun when you want a new Python and, you know, the only place to get them are on Gunbroker for $400 over MSRP. Um, I'm not willing to do that. Uh, an Anaconda, you know, there should be less demand for an Anaconda simply because, number one, it's not a Python. And number two, 44 Magnum ammunition is is expensive. And it does require a lot of skill to shoot that gun. And it's a big heavy gun, so it'll have it'll have less it'll it'll be a very popular gun, but it won't have the market appeal that the Python does. And frankly, I think if they brought back the if they brought back the Diamondback in stainless, four inch diamondback in stainless. What an awesome gun that would be. Uh, my wife has a four-inch blue Diamondback. I think it was made in 67 or 68. And man, that is a cool gun. That is, It's a baby python. Shoots great. It's lightweight. Oh, just, it has so many great attributes. Plus this, that awesome styling with that, you know, the ventilated rib and everything. It is very cool. It is very, very cool. So yes, the uh, new Anaconda is exciting. Uh, I hope that um, that this is something that the new owners of Colt CZ fully support and keep going and and uh, you know keep this kind of stuff going. People like the you know when you make a great gun, people like it, and taking it out of production is uh, sometimes a mistake. I think that uh, there's a lot of goodness in revolvers and there's a lot of goodness in large caliber large caliber handguns are a good thing the anaconda as i understand it is coming out in a six and an eight inch barrels which i think is cool but i think they should have put a four inch barrel there too there there are three guns well the python should if, if they were smart they would add an eight inch barrel to the python and a two and a half inch barrel and if they're bringing out the Diamondback, I would go six, four, and two and a half. The Anaconda, I would go eight, six, four. I don't think I would go two and a half. Maybe as a special run or something. But that would be what a what a great trio of beautiful revolvers that would be. That would be just so awesome. Looks like they're getting there slowly but surely. Slowly but surely, they're getting there. Okay, 
is the surplus weapon is surplus weapons collecting finished due to lack of imports and high prices uh, I can I can answer that I say absolutely not I think it's um, it's actually going to grow and here's why surplus weapons are still a great buy number one they're a hedge against inflate inflation um, there are a lot of them that are still reasonably priced you can still get surplus weapons under $500 if you look around if you look around um, the key is buy things that haven't been modified know what you're buying you know that's the that's the best thing but um, the collecting will change you won't have the guys like in the heyday of the CMP when they you know M1 Garands were 400 bucks a piece and guys you know I knew I knew people had 16 18 Garands you know they'd buy one every couple of months you know <laughs> save their lunch money and buy a Garand three months later um, you know that's that's awesome and you could you could do that and you could get 16 or 18 Garands you could get one from each manufacturer you could get the different configurations of them and things like this those days are probably gone for a large collection you could still specialize in a certain gun like an m1 carbine or that and and over time amass you know the the 10 or 12 examples that you want to have a a fairly complete collection but really the the collection will probably for most people would look like hey i've got a garand i've got a mauser I've got a Springfield 03A3, I've got an Arisaka, and I've got a British uh, um, Lee Enfield. You know, there would probably be a smaller collection, but more diverse pieces. And that's a large part of that is because the market and the way people buy guns is a little bit different. You can actually go on the internet. You can go on Gun Broker. And if you get a, a, um, a wanting, a craving for an 1886 LaBelle, if you watch Gun Broker for a month, you'll, you'll probably find one. Uh, if you want a, a Mauser K98, um, there's still a couple little importations of those coming in. The Royal Tiger imports have them, but there's a lot of after. There's the old Russian captures that came onto the market a couple decades ago. There's all kinds of of them out there, and you can find them on Gunbroker, other auction sites, or you know through through various means that weren't available, say in the 90s, where hey, you could you. Could, you know, you ever, believe me, all of us who were collecting were watching those shotgun news ads in the uh, 80s and 90s, and you were you were buying them that way, or you were going to your local gun shop who all of a sudden had 20 Swedish Mausers, and they were selling them for 100 bucks a piece. You know, I mean, it's so awesome that um, that we were able to to do that and get such a a um a variety of weapons into the country now all these these weapons are now on the secondary market and if you look you can get them they're they're not going to be cheap but they will kind of go up in price and and again that's very generally speaking you know the the finer examples will cost you more but they might appreciate more um lesser examples probably cost less will probably appreciate less so uh, military milserp collecting is just entering its next phase it's just not going to look the way it did in the 90s or the way it did in the early 2000s where moise and the gants were 50 bucks a piece and you know you could go in and you could buy you can literally buy 20 of them 
uh, for what, 2000 less than $2,000. And you could do it over time so it didn't, you know, rip the wallet from you. Um, you know, those, those kind of days are gone. You're going to be spending more, but you're going to be getting exactly what you want. So, yes, Millsurp collecting is far from dead, far from dead. Okay, here's kind of a more of a political question. Will mass shootings end gun ownership? Well, I don't think so. I think that what mass shootings will do is increase. <clears throat> First of all, it's funny. For last year, we didn't seem to have any. And then, you know, the, the media is now starting the drumbeat of every everything involving a gun is now all of a sudden national news. Except for one notable exception, which I'll cover. Um, mass shootings are a fiction of the media. We all know that statistically they are so far apart um, that, you know, in a, in a country of 300 million people, they're an insignificant, they're statistically insignificant. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to prevent them. The best way was the guy in Texas who, you know, came in, killed somebody in a church, and then the uh, um, church security shot him in the head and killed him. That's the best way to stop them is that they know that, hey, guess what? You're not going to get out of this alive and you're not going to achieve the result you want to achieve. But you know, there was, a, there was a real trend about 10 years ago that they were counting everything as a mass shooting. You know, they were sitting there going, well, if it's two people or above, it's a mass shooting. And then they say, oh, look at this incredible number of mass shootings. What they did, though, was you notice nobody's mentioning that now. And here's the reason why. Because if you if you categorize a mass shooting as two people and above, the demographic of the shooter changes. Usually the people who have the most victims are usually white males. But if you change it down to two people, that demographic changes radically. Because face it, they don't report over the news that you know three people were killed on a street corner in Chicago in a turf war over the crack business you know they don't report that they don't report that two gang members or three gang members were killed in a parking lot in you know East LA because of the because of a feud between a turf feud between two gangs so all of a sudden, the shooters start becoming looking more like inner city gang members than they do the disgruntled white guy, which is what even that even that fool niece of Harris was trying to trying to portray a couple of weeks ago when she found out that the 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 Arab Muslim guy who shot some people in uh, Boulder was you know she she thought that must be just one of those evil white males and it turns out he's some somebody and something else the other thing it does is you notice that they never really when unless it's a something that they can turn into right wing or something they never really go into the motives you know and and sometimes they're they're pitifully obvious that las vegas shooting where allegedly a bump stock was used now i think they they've admitted a bump stock really wasn't used but that started the whole bump stock thing you know um you know that guy he he basically shot a bunch of people coming from a kind of a country music concert 
that in and of itself bespeaks of a motive because mostly those kind of people would not be liberal Democrats. So right then and there, that's pretty much a start for it. Um, was this guy in Boulder is, you know, they're, they're trying to portray that he was just this paranoid male. Well, maybe, but maybe he was a, uh, there's a jihadi connection. And maybe at least, maybe if he wasn't even connected to one of those groups, maybe he was a sympathizer or held those beliefs. And nobody's really digging into that. And the guy who just killed a Capitol Police officer, um, who is part of the Nation of Islam, nobody's really talking about his motives either. Now, I'm not saying that all these people have the worst motives or are connected with the kind of motives that I'm suggesting, but I'm saying that they need to, in Nancy Pelosi's own words, they better investigate it. They need to investigate it to find out if there's anything there. And they don't seem to be willing to do that. They always seem to want to just, the mainstream media will just always push by that. So I, I don't know. I think that if they try to use what, and, and you know, the, the fact of the matter is mass shootings don't influence anybody. The, the gun controllers already want gun control. They don't care. They don't need to see a mass shooting to convince people to convince themselves they already know what they want and they want a complete prohibition of our weapons they want a complete subjugation of our rights and in fact they want to put us at the mercy of people who will really do us some harm so you know that's going to be the that's going to be the fight the shootings are nothing more than kind of smoke and mirrors that the media throws up you know they're they're not the issue the issue is how valuable are your second amendment rights and how connected to other rights are your second amendment rights if you have no second amendment rights you don't really have any other rights because they'll just change them and take them away from you so that's the that's the theory and my explanation of of that mass shootings they're sensational they get a lot of news and everything they're statistically insignificant and they're actually not not the issue there's actually deeper issues that uh, that go there and as i've said before my civil rights your civil rights are not predicated on the bad behavior of others they're predicated upon the rights that we are given basically a, a lot of people will say by god and other other people say by God and codified by the Constitution of the United States you know self-defense is a human right it is a civil right and a human right so that is the end of that and this brings to an end this edition of old school guns the 98th episode of old school guns if you have any questions or comments please feel free to uh, go ahead and send them to me at kbmakel at aol.com that is kbmakel at aol.com and you can also leave comments at podbean which is our primary carrier and i will answer them in the next podcast but until then this is old school guns out <laughs>